We now continue our study of Genesis chapter 25 to 50. In this study, we will do a quick case study of three lives. Two of them are patriarchs, Isaac and Jacob. The third one is Joseph. Now Isaac, we don't know much about him. Actually, very little is written about him, except that he was a miracle child. Abraham was like 100 years old, and Sarah was 90 years old when they were blessed with this miracle child. His name, Isaac, means laughter. Because when God told them that they would have a kid, they laughed. This is like ridiculous. So we see Hebrew names are really largely descriptive names. You know, actually most cultures, for example, the Chinese, our names actually are normal words, often adjectives like virtuous or beautiful, you know. So names are usually descriptive and Isaac simply means laughter. And so when we study the Bible, it's good to sometimes know the meaning of those names. For example, Abraham. Before he was Abraham, he was Abraham. And Abraham simply means father. I think we, I guess it comes from the Hebrew word Abba. You know, Papa, right? The Hebrews, if you go to Israel, I'm told you hear the kids calling their dad Abba, Abba. And so Abraham simply means father. But when God made a covenant with him and said he will bless many people, he changed his name to Abraham. Abraham simply means father also. Abba is still there. Ham probably means many. Father of many. Okay, so we see that. Look at the names in the Bible. If you can, try to find out what those names are. Now, not much about his life. Of course, that amazing episode at Mount Moriah where he willingly was offering, allowed his father to offer him as a burnt sacrifice. That is quite amazing. I mean, I, it is supernatural, I'll put it that way. How God worked it out, I don't know. But it's definitely not some natural response of a boy waiting, seeing a knife about to stab him, not protesting. Maybe the only lesson I would say at this point we would take out from Isaac's life, a case study of Isaac's life, is that he made a common mistake that many in the Bible make and many in our lives make, and that was he had favoritism towards his kids. Now, God bless Isaac with two kids, two, a twin, set a pair of twins, non-identical. One was Esau, the elder, and the younger was Jacob. And the Bible says very clearly, Isaac loved Esau and his wife, Rachel, loved Jacob. Now this is something so terrible we keep seeing over and over. Later we see Jacob makes the same mistake and he loves Joseph, his son, more than his other 11 sons. And so much problem comes from that. So we learn one thing that is so natural to like a certain person, even among our kids. There are certain chemistry we have with certain kids, 
Is that the thing about the character that suits us? For example, it says Isaac loved to eat medicine and Esau was a hunter. So, you know, there was that affinity and he loved Esau. See, we, when we love our kid, one kid more than the other, and that's quite natural, we must never show it, right? Because that will cause sibling rivalry. And in this case, early on, we saw sibling rivalry between Isaac and Ishmael how that has continued for 4,000 years. Here we see sibling rivalry between the descendants of Isaac's two twins, Jacob, father of the Israelites, and Esau, father of the Edomites. And you, as we read the history of Israel, there's a lot of fighting between them. Thankfully, the fighting has stopped, not because they became friends, but because there are no more Edomites. The last Edomite that we know recorded in the Bible is Herod, King Herod. He was an Edomite, all right? So we see, please be careful. Case study, we see a lot of problems from sibling rivalry caused by parental visible favoritism. If you have a, like one kid more than another, never mention it, never show it, right? It's something personal in your heart. Both of your kids love them and don't cause sibling rivalry. Now, we move on from Isaac. That was a very quick case study of Isaac. We move on to Jacob. Now, if you compare the two characters, the father and son, Isaac, we can say he was a bland person. Nothing much about him is written. Jacob, on the other hand, a lot is written about him. He's a very colorful person. Jacob was the younger of the two twins, right? Esau and Jacob, Isaac's two, two kids. But God favored Jacob over Esau. And then we see this over and over again. In a sense, Isaac was favored over Ishmael. Ishmael was 13 years older. And Jacob was a few seconds younger than Esau, so he's not the firstborn, but yet God favored him. And I, you see this in the Bible. I think God wants to teach us the truth that we have no natural right to get to claim God's favor, right? Every one of us has no natural right. We get God's favor because of his grace, because of his goodness, not because we are older, or smarter, or things like that, okay? So, Jacob the Younger, from the very beginning, showed his character. He grabbed the heel, in the womb, he grabbed the heel, of Esau, as it were, not allowing Esau to come out before him. You know, babies usually come out head first. He grabbed the heel, like preventing Esau from coming out. And his name is very interesting. The name Jacob means supplanter, always a grabber of other people's things. He liked to grab what was not his. So the name Jacob simply means a supplanter, a grabber of things, not his. Later on, we see his character showed through when he and his older brother had a dealing. One day, his older brother Esau was so hungry and Esau was starving and he had, Jacob had a bowl of pottage, <clears throat> porridge. And, and his brother said, give it to me, give it to me. And Jacob said, I will give it to you if you will give me your birthright. That is, let me be rightfully the firstborn. So, in a moment of opportunity, he grabbed his brother's birthright. 
Then when his father was getting old and with a cataract probably getting blind and his papa Isaac wanted to bless his kids, he deceived his blind father and said he was Esau and he got the blessings of the father for the elder son. So he got Esau's blessings by deceiving his father. Can you imagine what kind of character he is? Now, after this event, the Bible tells us he had to flee from Esau because Esau was about to kill him. You see, the kind of family feud. Okay? Then he runs off and he looks to his, to his mom's uh, family far away and then he found a wife, a beautiful girl called Rachel. And then he asked the hand of Rachel from her dad, Laban. And Laban said, sure, I can give you Rachel. But Laban cheated him and he had to work seven years, not for Rachel, but he had to, when he thought he got Rachel, in the end, Laban gave him the other daughter, Leah. Now, this is payback time. He had deceived so many people, he finally met his match in Laban, his father-in-law, who was just as big a deceiver as him. So anyway, to cut a long story short, he finally marries two sisters, Leah and Rachel, and he had to work 14 years for these two sisters. Okay? And he finally leaves Laban and goes back. Right? Now, he has certain encounters with God. Very interesting. One encounter found in Genesis 28 is in a dream, he saw a ladder going up to heaven and the angels of God going up and down this ladder. Okay, Genesis in Genesis chapter 28. Now, actually, the Hebrew word for ladder going up and down is not so much the angels walking up the ladder and walking down. It's almost like an escalator. One was on the up escalator, the other angels on the down escalator. They were going up and down, just like in a shopping mall. We go up and down the escalator as if there was a way between heaven and earth and angels were just going up and down. It's so probably the first uh, escalator design in the world. Now, what is all this about? What is this ladder about? In John chapter 1, verse 51, we see that Jesus said to Nathanael, in John chapter 1, verse 51, this is what Jesus said to Nathanael, Hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man, not on the ladder, all right? So Jesus was referring to a story that all the Jews were familiar with. The Jews knew all these stories, right? They heard the Torah every year. They heard the Torah in the synagogue. It was read through, read through, read through. They knew these stories really well. And you know what Jesus said to Nathaniel? You remember that story about, about uh, Jacob's dream? Angels of God going up and down on this escalator to heaven. Let me tell you who this escalator is. 
the angels are going to go up on the son of man, me. So what is Jesus telling Nathaniel? I am the way to heaven. Okay? The dream that Jacob had a long time ago, he didn't know who that ladder was. I'm telling you, I'm the ladder. Okay? So I hope you see that little link there between uh, the very unusual story, the unusual dream, and what it actually is a type of 2000 or 1500 years later. Okay? In Genesis 31, another interesting story of Jacob. He's got a lot of interesting stories, this guy. Another story says one evening he had to wrestle with someone who came to his tent. And he, as he sensed this was a messenger from God, and he wrestled with possibly what was the pre-incarnate Christ. Christ, before he came in human, became 100% God, 100% man. He came in a form, all right? And he wrestled. I don't know who it is, actually, but let's just say he wrestled with this messenger from God, and he would not let this messenger go. He said, unless you bless me, I will not let you go. Wow! All right? And the Bible says the wrestling was so intense that the hip of Jacob was dislocated at that time. Now, we know that the joint, the most stable joint in the human body is the hip joint, all right? Because it is a ball and socket joint. It's like so gripped inside. This, imagine this is my, my, my femur, and this is, it's like that. It can, almost cannot be pulled out. Almost, we see all kinds of wrestling in uh, WWF and all these things. We don't hear of dislocated hip joints sometimes. Uh, shoulders dislocated, elbow, never a hip joint. I've, I've had a dislocated hip joint. Let me tell you, it is unbearable, okay, the pain. But even when he had that, he would not let go, right? He hung on, fighting and fighting. And then, at the end of this, God gave him a new name. He said, you shall no more be called Jacob. From henceforth, your name shall be Israel. Israel, right? Always remember when you hear the LLL in the end, that's God. Israel means wrestling with God. It means fighting, contending with God. It can also mean triumphing with God. Okay? So basically, after this battle with God, asking for God's blessings, God, you got to bless me, he took on a new name that he had now triumphed with God. Now, in spite of all his bad character, his defective, deceitful character, he had one good character. He wanted God's blessings. He really sought for blessings. He wanted his papa's blessings. He wanted God's blessings. And he, he did his best to get it in the beginning deceitfully. And later, he wrestled with God for it. Now, what is the lesson you and I must take away from this case study of, of Jacob? Okay, I take away this lesson. Right? Just like in Isaac's life, I take away a lesson. Always be careful to love all my kids, to show equality to all my kids, right? With Jacob's life, I learned this lesson. We must plead with God. We must beg God in prayer for his blessings. 
One thing I discovered in prayer today is that prayers have become very scholarly. Almost you see pastors pray like they're doing poetry. Thou and thee and thine and you know the, the sentence is perfect, the grammar is perfect. They want to sound so so good in prayer, so nice in prayer. Now wrestling is not nice. Wrestling is very messy. Wrestling is very, uh, I don't know how you put it, there's no form. You know, sometimes even certain sports, there seems to be a certain form. Wrestling seems to me like, uh, 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 you know, uh, that is what prayer should be. It's like pleading with God for, you know, and I'm afraid that is a lost. Uh, most prayer is almost like just talking to God, telling God, or informing God. You know, and I'm afraid that we have lost the art, I would say, the spiritual skill of praying to God. Now, the term used in theology sometimes is agonized with God, agonizing prayer. What we have is organized prayer. And that is, people like to make their prayer look so nice, okay? So can I recommend you take away one lesson from Jacob's life, his very defective life, but he had one redeeming feature. He knew how to pray. And I think if you know how to pray, you will have a totally changed life as Jacob did. His life was no more the same. He's now called Israel. Now Jacob left 12 sons. Now sad to say, they came from four women, right? It's two wives. And the two wives had two slaves and they were Two sisters were often competing with each other who could produce the sons, right? How come you got a small son than me and they told Jacob, go into my slave so you can get a son through my slave. So, you know, you see these two sisters in the end became two competitors and very, very terrible marital dynamics in the family. Polygamy always leads to this. Okay, whatever religion allows polygamy, I'm sad to say, whatever they say, you must be fair to all your wives, blah, 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 blah. I don't believe that. I believe that the women will always be fighting because Genesis chapter 3 said, remember that? When Eve and Adam sinned, this is what God said to Eve, this is your suffering. You will bring forth children in pain and your desire shall be to your husband. You just want your husband. And these two women are fighting for the affection of their husband. And two sisters became literally two enemies. <clears throat> Sad. Now, the name Israel now became the name of a nation. <laughs> so Jacob became literally the name, not of a person, but of a nation. Israelites. Today, we use the word Jews. Jews cannot be used at this time. You cannot say these were the Jews. These were not the Jews. These were Israelites. Okay? Why do we today use the term Jews? The term Jews refer to actually one tribe of these 12 kids. These 12 kids became 12 tribes of Israel. But 10 of the tribes were taken into exile earlier. We call them the lost tribes of Israel. We don't know where they are now. They were taken into Assyria and then disappeared from the face of the earth. Okay? The last two tribes that were not taken away was Judah 
and a tiny tribe called Benjamin. Benjamin had been decimated. Later we'll see why. So basically, it was left. Ten tribes gone, two tribes left, but only one was a major tribe, Judah. And that's where the name Jews come from. So when you say Jews, you don't mean Israelites. Okay? Jews mean the remnant. The ones, not the ten tribes, they disappeared. They're just the remnant tribe. So today when we say the Jews, we're not talking about this original twelve tribes, one left tribe. Okay? I hope you understand why the name Jew is used today rather than Israelite. Because ten tribes have so much disappeared from history. Okay? Now, we then move on to the next case study of Joseph. Joseph is very well known because the story of the prince of Egypt has been seen and done over and over again. It's a great human drama. How someone was sold to slavery then became the the prime minister of the greatest empire in the world at that time. Amazing story, right? Now, why was Joseph sold to slavery? I mean, there are many reasons, but I can think of some. One is God wanted the Jews or the Israelites to experience slavery. Horrible slavery. Agony, suffering, bondage, cannot escape for a long period of time, three, four hundred years. Why? Because it is a type of us before we are saved. We couldn't get out of our sin. Hard as we tried, everything we tried to do, morals, moral education, religious education, we couldn't get out of the grip of sin in our lives, our pride, our lust, our, ten, ten, our tendency to lie, all these things, selfishness, ego, so bound up in us, just like us. We are slave to these lusts and sins. Until, in the case of the Israelites, they were let out by Moses, free from Egypt. And that's a picture of us, led by Christ, freed from our past life of slavery to sin. That's probably one reason why Joseph was allowed to go to slavery. But there's another reason actually given in Genesis 15 verse 16. It was a time when God spoke to Abraham and God said, I'm going to give you this land, this promised land, but not now. I will give it to you after many generations until the iniquity of the Amorites before. The Amorites were the people living in that land. They were wicked people. They had some of the most horrible practices. Their religion was sex. They believed that if you have sex, that is fertility. That increases your crops and makes you richer. So basically, their religion was based on Temple prostitutes, male and female. Can you imagine religion is a time you go to the temple to have sex? 
wow, you thought a brothel was bad. The temple is a brothel. Mm. And of course, another horrible thing about them was their gods they had to worship with human sacrifice, often their own babies. Now, this kind of evil that they had in the land, the promised land at the time, they called gods and the iniquity of the Amorites. But that had not reached its fullness. In other words, God said, I want to destroy these people, but I can't destroy them now. It's not fair. There is wickedness, but it has to reach a certain state until my patience is runs out. Then I will deal with them. In other words, all right, God just didn't tell the, the Israelites, just go and take the land, just kill them, it's okay. You know, many times when we read the Old Testament, you and I are a bit troubled. I was troubled for a long time. Why do God allow one race, his people, Israelites, to destroy another race? Isn't this called ethnic cleansing? Isn't this what we don't like to see nowadays when one stronger tribe destroys and cleanses like the Rohingya and so on, another helpless tribe? No, but this was not the case. This is not ethnic cleansing. This is evil cleansing. God was not getting rid of one race by another race. God was getting rid of horrendous evil on earth, which should never be allowed on this earth, that you kill your, burn your own babies, you go to say you worship God by having sex with a prostitute. Now, it makes no sense. It should not be allowed. This is a this is a cancer that should not be allowed to spread from the promised land to other lands. So it was not ethnic cleansing. Please don't get it wrong when you read how God used Israelites to destroy these tribes. It's not because it's a racial thing. It is righteousness against gross evil. And yet the evil had to be gross and full. When the iniquity of the Amorites is full, then Israel will go in and take the land. Right? So they were parked, so to speak, they were parked in Egypt to allow the iniquity of the Amorites to be full and also to have the little tribe of Israel at that time when they moved into Egypt, there were only 70 of them. Imagine 70 of them going to take the promised land. That's not make sense because the promised land was full of cities, properly built up cities, full of matured farms, etc. 70 people cannot go and occupy the land. So they went to Egypt so that they will grow to numbers later on the sea, two to three million, to fill this land, which makes sense. Okay? So the reason why God allowed them to be in Egypt, why as slaves? Because God wanted them to see, experience a horrible life right, without God. And then God wanted them to grow to be sufficient numbers to occupy the land. And also, before he could get rid of this race, he won, he had to be fair that it had to be so wicked that they deserve to be cleansed and removed from the face of this earth. Okay, So I hope you understand why God allowed. Now, Joseph is really a type of Jesus Christ. If you look at his life, there's like no visible sin record. Of course, he's a sinner like all of us. But no visible sin is recorded in his in the record of his life in the Bible. And then he was always wanting to serve other people. Even in prison, the butler, right, and the 
and the baker of uh, Pharaoh, he wanted to help them. Ask, you know, and then later, when his brothers came to him, who the brothers who had sold him to slavery because of jealousy, because of sibling rivalry, he forgave them completely and he helped them. Isn't that the type of Christ? Forgive them for they know not what they do. He told them, God brought me into Egypt. Not you didn't send me. God brought me into Egypt so that you will have food in the famine. You know, at that time, Egypt had a severe famine. It's not common in Egypt. As I said before, because of the Nile River, once in a while there was a famine in Egypt, very rare, not common. In fact, in history, just a few times as far as we know, but in Israel, because it's rain-fed, much more common. Now, we end by seeing a prophecy as Jacob is about to die, as Israel is about to die. He calls all his sons to bless them one by one. And then a prophecy is made on his son, Judah. And this prophecy, I believe, has a lot of significance for the Israelites. On Judah, it was said, and remember Judah was the last uh, tribe left, huh? okay? At the time of Jesus, the 10 tribes all disappeared. It was just basically the Jews already at that time, huh? Jesus' time. It was no more Israelites, they were the Jews, okay? The prophecy in Genesis 49 in verse 10, Thus this scepter shall not depart from Judah until Shiloh come. Now, of course, when you read it like that, it doesn't make any sense. But, you know, for the Jews, they looked at this prophecy. Scepter, this scepter, scepter speaks of rule. The rule shall not depart from Judah. Now, all along, Judah was the last tribe left. They were like the tribe that was looked up to, right? They were the only tribe to look up to, Judah, okay? People like King David came from Judah. The line, the kings all came from Judah. And now there's only tribe left anyway. The rule shall not depart, the scepter shall not depart from Judah till Shiloh come. Now, the word Shiloh is kind of mysterious, but it possibly means till the Messiah, the messenger of God comes. Now, what is this in prophecy? You see, the Jews basically, even after they came back from exile, basically ruled themselves. But just before the coming of Christ, Romans made the Judah, the land that Judah placed, that became a Roman province. So there's a Roman province called Judah, and a governor was put, a Roman governor was put to rule the Jews. Now, when the Jews saw this, we are now under Roman rule. You know, when Jesus was born, he was under Roman rule. Oh, the prophecy came. The Shiloh, the Messiah, will come. Because we don't more rule ourselves. We are ruled by the Romans. Let me repeat it again. Huh? Genesis 49.10 The scepter, the rule, shall not 
depart from Judah. In other words, we used to rule Judah, the Jews used to rule themselves, but then it has departed. The Romans now rule the province of Judah. Whoa. When Jesus was born, totally under Roman rule. And then the Jews said, the Messiah, Shiloh, shall come because we no more rule ourselves. So there was a kind of anticipation, I think, that when at this time, at this time, when the Romans are ruling us, a Messiah will come. Okay? So I hope this helps you a little bit about this prophecy and why there was this anticipation of a Messiah at the time of Christ coming. Now the book ends very sad. The last line, last few lines is, and Joseph was put into a coffin. Okay, so remember the book of Genesis. Huh? It began with a beautiful universe being created. God said, very good. It ends with a coffin. I hope you get the picture now, the, the beautiful way this book is written. Beautiful creation, perfect creation ends up in a coffin. Wow. This is the story of sin, the fall of man. Okay? Now, after this event, when Joseph goes into the coffin, there's literally a silence from God. The Jews did not hear from God. The Israelites did not hear from God in Egypt. Totally for hundreds of years, possibly 400 years. No voice from God. Prophetic silence. And then Moses comes out and brings them out of Egypt. Wow. Can you see a type? New Testament. 400 years of silence after Malachi. After the book of Malachi was written, there's 400 years of total silence. Not a word from God to his people to the Jews. And then Christ comes and delivers them from sin and death. See the type? Right? 400 years of silence in Egypt. Moses comes and liberates them from bondage. 400 years of silence after Malachi. And then Jesus comes and delivers them from, delivers us from sin and death. Okay, so we see here all these books, may I recommend this? Listen to them. Just as the Jews did. They knew these stories well. So anytime they could think through the case study because they knew these stories, they heard it umpteen times. May you also have your audio Bibles on as you drive. Listen to these stories. Listen to it. Make these stories, these case studies a part of your life. Right? And then at any time you can recall it and learn lessons from it. So I hope this has been a good study of Genesis. We've taken a long time to do Genesis because there are a lot of truths in it, a lot of foundational truths, and then we speed up our study. So may God bless you as you listen. If you would like to read and you, you, you can read very fast, go ahead and read, okay? But for most of us who are not speed readers, can I suggest listen. Because when you read, you tend to stop, you tend to underline, 
you tend to go into the thing deep when we should have these things first as stories that are so in our head and we can do, dive deep in at any time because the case study is already in our head. You know, any moment you can dive in when you have the material walking around with the case studies all in your head because you listen to them many, many times. God bless you.